0: Good morning. It's a joy to be here and to speak to you about those seminal moments we've just heard from Exodus 19 where God makes a covenant with the whole of his people, with Israel, and he does it with the help of Moses. I'm going to be talking about Moses as as a sort of intro to your series, but before I get into talking about Moses, shall we pray? Lord, as we gather as your people here today, give us ears to hear what you might wish to say to us. Help me, like Moses, to be a mediator of your voice and your will. And together, may we receive and respond and obey that we may live fully in the covenant you have given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I was so excited when I heard that you've got a sermon series on Moses. I know you are too. You're on the edge of your seats, right? So I'm just offering you an extra There's something you need to understand about me, which is that uh, back long before I was a bishop, I used to teach the Old Testament. Okay, so there's a danger I might get carried away. (laughs) You're up for that? Okay, if the morning service runs into the evening service, that's fine. (laughs) We'll see. You're looking at Moses in detail through the stages of God calling him and his work and his life in the story of bringing the people out of Egypt. What I want to do is something slightly different, which is to stand back and recognize the way in which, without Moses, you'd you'd barely have an Old Testament. And without the Old Testament, Frankly, you'd barely understand who Jesus was, okay? Take Moses out of the Old Testament, you've got little left. I was thinking of, of metaphors for, for taking Moses out of, out of the Old Testament. It would be like taking Jesus out of Christmas. It would be like taking the wheat out of bread. It would be like taking the cocoa beans out of chocolate. It would be like taking the mountains out of Switzerland. And then I have, well, you can think of others, and in fact, you can shout them out if you really want to. But my final one for you is it would be like taking Boris out of Brexit. Okay, you get it? Moses is, no, you don't buy that one. You you, you want Brexit without Boris, or you want Boris without Brexit? No, 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 okay, we're getting political. (laughs) Okay. Three C's on Moses. You're talking about his courage, right? That would be one of the C's. My two other C's would be his calling. We'll come back to that. But where I want to focus today particularly is the covenant. And it's actually not really Moses' covenant, it's God's covenant. But it's mediated through Moses and it's quite often called the Mosaic Covenant as if it's attached to Moses. Moses is just part of it. It's between God and God's people, and Moses helps make it happen. That is an illustration of how big and how significant can be the calling of God on an individual's life. Fancy that. Moses makes happen a covenant between God and God's people. That's huge. That's That salvation history from 30,000 feet, okay, that is what a single life lived for God in response to God's call can achieve. Now, I'm not really talking to you about calling today, but I can never stop talking about calling because it is God's modus operandi in this world. God doesn't generally choose to zap the world like some superhero. God chooses to work through fallible, flaky human beings like Moses, like me, and like you. Like Lucy, as we just heard in that lovely story earlier. Okay, now I mentioned the word covenant. How often do you talk about covenant at St. Saviour's, I wonder, and I bet if you do, it sometimes has something to do with a bank and that thing you sign, and it's about money. Okay, forget that. Covenant is about God's promise. God's promise to his people that began with Abraham when God called Abraham Abraham, and blessed Abraham to be a blessing and said through you all the people of the earth will be blessed and told him to go, to go and eventually his people would be as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Folks we are some of those grains and some of those stars scattered across the world again because another faithful person heard God call and responded. Intergalactic implications, I'd say. Okay, if we, if we rise up to 30,000 feet above, above the Bible, the story of scripture, the, the, the history of salvation, they say you can see the Great Wall of China from the moon. We can see above the biblical narrative two mountains, I put it to you. Mount Sinai, and the mountain of Jerusalem, sometimes it's called Mount Zion, but it includes the Mount of Olives, and it includes that little green hill far away on which our Savior was crucified. And that's where I want to start, with that mountain, the Mount of Olives. Come with me to the very first Maundy Thursday, Last Supper, the day when Jesus gathered his disciples, it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was absolutely packed with people, people from north and south, they gathered. That's a fraction of them there. And, of course, that's a photograph. That would be a modern-day Passover. You might think, I don't know, Notting Hill Festival. But that's just annual, and that's just Britain, and that's just London. You might think of a gathering at a royal jubilee. The gathering for Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, was just as big as that. It was utterly foundational for the definition of the nation of Israel, for its past, its present, its future. It was as fun as the Notting Hill Festival. It was as significant as a royal jubilee. So we're at the Last Supper. What was it that brought Jesus and the disciples together for a ritual meal that night? Why was it that they were asked to search for an upper room and to prepare the food? That meant roasting a lamb, preparing unleavened bread and raising cups of wine. It's called a Passover meal. All four gospels, it's really interesting, they give an account of the Last Supper and even though the accounts of the Last Supper are very different, they each tie it to the Passover. Why? Because what Jesus was doing was connected with Moses. The heart of our Christian story, our Christian life, our, our church's worship, our Holy Communion that most churches celebrate every week. We had it the earlier service this morning. The heart of everything is tied to the events of Moses and the chosen people of God three or four thousand years ago, to a last supper in Egypt when a lamb was killed and roasted and eaten and its blood scored on the doorposts of the Israelite homes in order that the angel of death that was visiting Egypt, would pass over those homes to rescue God's people and to enable them to escape the exodus to happen, the survival in the desert, so that they could reach Mount Sinai. The exodus wasn't an end in itself. God didn't free Israel, simply to get them out of a sticky spot in Egypt and some horrible work, a situation of slavery, God did liberate them from Egypt, but God God liberated them for something. And that for is for covenant, for relationship with God. So that is what is being remembered at Passover on Maundy Thursday. It's a festival of reenacting the meal of the roast lamb at Moses' direction that last night before they escaped Egypt and escaped the terrors of Pharaoh. It's a festival of giving thanks to God for the miracle of the escape that followed, for the parting of the Red Sea. You know the story. You've You've seen it in what Charlton, depends how old you are, Charlton Heston, Moses, right? Or if you're a little bit younger, the Prince of Egypt, maybe? They both take a bit of license with the truth, with the story, but, but they're great, aren't they? I spent seven years in, living in the American South and neither of those are adequate for me. What does it for me is that that Negro spiritual, go down. Moses, way down in Egypt's land. You've got to help me with this, guys. (laughs) Anyway, preferably sung by Paul Robeson in that deep, resonant voice where you, you just hear God deep in your heart. Anyway, back to the Exodus. They are remembering the fact that Israel passed through the Red Sea without even getting muddy feet. Meanwhile, Pharaoh and all his chariots that are chasing them are drowned in the waves. It doesn't get much more dramatic, even though it's hard to make a movie. Okay, Uh, it's not just an annual event, this Passover, though. It's also a weekly event. It's what Jewish families celebrate on the eve of the Sabbath every Friday night. Have you ever watched Schindler's List? Get a great picture of it there. What you have at that meal is a pattern, a liturgy, so that the story of Moses becomes engraved on your heart. You know it back to front, because it utterly defines you if you're a Jew. That is where you've been redeemed. That is why you're alive. That explains your past, your present, and your future. And friends, it is just the same for us every Sunday with the Eucharist. We simply wouldn't be here without those great acts of redemption. Absorb the fact that there'd be no story. We wouldn't be redeemed without the events that go back to Moses, that unveil the promises of God from the past, his presence with us in the midst of travail, hard times, and his promise for the future, past, present, and future. I'll come back to that. Back to the Last Supper, before escaping Egypt, turns out to be the Last Supper Jesus shares with his disciples. That gathering, that celebration, that liturgy, that reliving the story of salvation is the event Jesus celebrates in that upper room at the start of the crucial three days for which Jesus came. The liturgy echoes a summary of the story of salvation, just as we do in our liturgy every time we have a communion service. So over the Passover meal, Jesus explains to the disciple why why he came and how he's about to fulfill God's purpose. And all of it is explained and understood through the story of Moses, the story of the Hebrews in Egypt being liberated, being given their freedom from slavery and for God, and then working out what that meant, how to learn what freedom looks like in the desert, a sort of boot camp, that turned out to be for 40 years, and then coming to Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. After three months, they camped near Rephidim, and God called them up the mountain, and they heard God's voice, and God made a covenant with them. I want you to see the relevance of that covenant for us, the Mosaic covenant, that becomes a new covenant in Jesus. Friends, this isn't just about understanding the central Old Testament act of salvation. It is the lens for understanding who we are as New Testament people, which is to say we don't understand Jesus without first understanding Moses. And you'll see from a A little table I've got that follows. The Gospels are really keen to present Jesus as an echo of Moses. He's a second Moses. The first column is all about Moses, the second column is all about Jesus. Do you see how parallel they are? Escaping being killed as a baby, born not an Egyptian, but living in Egypt as an infant. I'm not going to read all of them through right now. There's the second half of the table that you can see coming up. There we go. Both of them came out of Egypt. Moses passed through the Red Sea. Jesus passed through the waters of baptism. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. It's as if the story of Moses is a script for the story of Jesus this isn't just how the disciples and the gospel writers understood Jesus though it was really helpful as a lens for them to grasp the significance of Jesus you mean Jesus might be as important as Moses how about that it's also something Jesus declares For the disciples to grasp what Jesus is doing, their lens, their operating system, their worldview is all about Moses. So then hear what Jesus says to the disciples at that last supper, at the liturgy of the Passover. What he does is he adapts it. Here's the, the version in Mark. While they were eating the Passover, Jesus took bread, that would be the unleavened bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, all of that is exactly what would have happened every Passover supper. But then Jesus says, take it, this is my body. That's not what they were expecting. Then he took a cup, as the father of the feast always did, gave thanks, shared it with them, and they all drank from it. That's all very normal. And then Jesus said, this is my blood. This is my blood of the covenant. Some versions say the new covenant, which is poured out for many. <gasps> Can you hear the intake of breath among the disciples? What's going on here? I thought the Passover happened way back. And Jesus is saying, here is a new Passover and here is a new covenant. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it afresh in the kingdom of God. You mean it's not gonna carry on happening like it's always happened? But Jesus says to the disciples, do this in remembrance of me. What do you think the disciples might have assumed at the Last Supper? For them, they do this in remembrance of Moses, because Moses is a big deal. Moses defines the story of salvation. This is about God's call to Moses, about God's revelation of his name to him when he asked who on earth was calling him. These are all Uh, The sermons you've got coming in your series, by the way. This is about God's provision of help to Moses when he voiced his inadequacy for that calling. This is about God's sending of plague after plague to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go. And of Moses' persistence in the face of Pharaoh changing his mind and getting more and more violent This is the story of the instructions to Moses to kill a lamb, to smear its blood on the doorposts and eat it with shoes on and staff ready for that quick departure. This is the story of Pharaoh realizing what he'd lost and chasing after the Israelites to catch them up and claim them back again. This is the story of the Exodus, the passing through the Red Sea, the ultimate baptism and gift of life that God gave to them when he drowned everyone else. This is the story of Moses' leadership of a wayward people in the desert when times were desperate. You thought times were hard in Egypt, but by golly, after God had rescued these people, times were hard. Just hear that if you're having a hard time, my friends. But this is also the time in the desert where Moses depended on God and taught the people to depend on God. They struck a rock when they were thirsty for water. He prayed to heaven and God provided manna and quail when they were hungry. And what was all this about? This is the story of God, of Moses leading the people to Mount Sinai. That's what it's all about where God addresses them face to face, tenderly declaring his love to them and his purposes for them. And Jesus echoes all of that at his last supper. He echoes it, he fulfills it, he extends it when he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, that is given for you and for many. This moment is the making of covenant, just as Mount Sinai was a making of covenant, where God forges a new relationship. God is a God of covenant who, through Moses, established the relationship with Israel, and now through Christ, always through according to God's purpose and plan, He establishes a new relationship with all of humankind, not just Jews. Notice how God's way is to work in and through human beings to fulfill his purposes. Through Moses, through Jesus, and shockingly, even through you and me. And it's God's covenant that seals God's commitment to us, no matter what we do, how we fail and fall. So read with me again from Exodus 19. There we are gathered at Mount Sinai. It's the first day of the month after the Israelites left Egypt. On that very day, they came in the desert of Sinai to, to Mountain of Sinai. It's always a mountain where the people meet God. Have you noticed that? Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say. Do you notice how Moses is being a mouthpiece for God? Again, that's the role of a prophet. That's a role God gives to you and me. He's a prophet and he's a priest. He mediates God to the people, and the voice says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you, how I chose you, and carried you on the pinions of my wings to bring you to me, to myself. Now, if you will listen to my voice, or obey me fully, the Hebrew's a bit complicated, and keep my covenant... Here is the covenant. Then, out of all the nations of the earth, you will be my treasured possession. You will sit in the palm of my hand. Can you feel God's arms reaching out to enclose his people in safety? Even though the whole earth is mine, you, and you is emphatic there, you, yes, even you, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. As we were singing earlier in worship, I was reflecting on the ways in what, what we were singing is expressed here at the heart of the Old Testament. I've heard the tender whisper in the dead of night we were singing. This is the tender whisper of God to a people in the dead of their night. And what we're hearing is, he's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who you are. It's who you are. And Lord, by you, it's who I am, loved loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who you are. It's who I am. That's what's going on here in this covenant ceremony. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. That's what is promised at the covenant ceremony here. And this promise is the reason for the freedom, for the liberation, for the exodus from Egypt. When God offers us freedom, it's not just to get out of a bad situation. It's not just about the past. God gives us the equipment to live in dependence, in relationship with God in the present. and God gives us a future. God gives us a promise God gives us a purpose, God gives our life meaning. And what is that? You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Through Moses, God gives to us, and of course through Jesus, but if we were Old Testament people, we would say through Moses, he has brought about a covenant. Just as through Jesus, we have received a new covenant. It's what God does, it's his operating system to work in and through particular people on behalf of others to share his blessing. So that's what we're gathered to celebrate this morning. That's what we remember. God's modus operandi in this world, God's operating system is through covenant, it is through promise. God, it's a bit like the promises of marriage. God has made the ultimate commitment to work in and through us and to be there for us. His gift of liberation is not just liberation from the bad old ways, it's liberation for living for God and serving his purposes in the world. And Moses is our model. He's our model of hearing a calling from God. He's our model of courage in responding. And he's our model of living within the covenant. Without Moses, we wouldn't get it. It's a little bit like, I don't know, in South Africa, the modern story of salvation there. Without Nelson Mandela, it wouldn't have happened. It's not about Nelson Mandela. It's about democracy and freedom in South Africa. The story for us, it's not about Moses, but because of Moses, we come to Jesus. And through Jesus, we live his freedom. Let me end by saying, some of you may be in a really hard place, you may know the pressure of making bricks without straw. You may know the humiliation of a hard taskmaster breathing down your neck in some way or other. You may know that sense of abandonment when you haven't seen God's promises come about for a very, very long time. The story of Moses is a story of God, who does not forget his promises, who hears the cry of his people, who calls one of those people and raises them up, yes, to be a leader, but ultimately to to serve for God, to speak for God, to serve for God, to bring rescue, not just rescue from, that tough stuff, but rescue for a life of freedom, a life of fulfillment, a life that will bring blessing to others. We are blessed that we may be a blessing to the world through Moses, through Christ. Amen.